0: Welcome back to the Restorative Grief Podcast with Mandy Capehart. I'm your host, Mandy. Today, I am bringing my longtime friend onto the show to talk about the idea of grief literacy. Ryan File is also the editor of my book, Restorative Grief, and I know that although he has experienced grief and loss in his own life, His understanding of grief deepened significantly through learning what it means to hold space for others and by finding ways to make awkward conversations around loss more approachable. So hopefully as you listen, you'll hear some advice and gain some insight into the value of grief literacy, what it actually means, and how you can bring more into your own grief process and relationships with others. Let's get to it. like to welcome my friend Ryan File to the show. Hi Ryan. Hey
1: Mandy. Good to be here.
0: I'm so glad you decided to join me especially because I know grief is not a topic people run to talk about. It's not the most exciting thing we could discuss but you of all people know that I don't really worry too much about making people uncomfortable when it comes to engaging in conversation, right?
1: That's very true. I would say that's your
0: MO. It, it's definitely an easy action for me to take to ask questions or, you know, make things a little bit awkward if that makes, makes for a better conversation or for growth for both parties. So, yep. I'm just grateful that you're willing to dig into this because I know it's not fun. So what I think I'll ask first is what is your understanding of the phrase grief literacy? What does that mean to you?
1: I look at it as something that is sort of on two fronts. I look at it as how we respond to our own grief and how we respond to the grief of others. When it comes to how we respond and pro- respond to and process our own grief, that's not something that I think is a universal characteristic of American culture. American culture is very steeped in platitudes, whether that's from a faith perspective or the little signs that you see at Hobby Lobby, this too shall pass. It really tries to make it manageable by shrinking it down, when in reality it's a monster that takes on different forms, and it's a monster that grows and shrinks in different ways. And so when it comes to grief literacy, for us, for dealing with our own grief, it's understanding how to respond to that monster, not just overall, but seriously from day to day, because as you know, grief is a often lifelong monster that does get smaller over time if we handle it in, in healthy ways, but it's always going to be there in, in one way or another. With regard to other people and grief literacy, I love the phrase that you have often used, the idea of Uh, learning to hold space. That's a phrase that I had never heard before uh, until until editing your book, frankly, until being part of that, which was a a really wonderful experience, by the way. The idea of holding space for people in a way that is going to 100% 100 benefit them, what they need at that moment, and learning that sometimes the grief process may not include you. You may not be what they need and that that's okay. Your contribution in those moments can be to understand and say, okay, I will give you, you the distance. I will give you the space.
0: I love so much of what you described in that. And I think at the end there, you really brought the aspect of humility into the concept of grief literacy. I know that you probably had a very eye-opening experience, like you said, editing my book and recognizing that there are a lot of aspects of grief that we we do all carry very differently from one another. I love that you have recognized that being grief literate on behalf of other people looks like humility. Well and it's
1: and it and it's necessary too to understand that sometimes things that look unhealthy from the outside for an individual are actually healthy. I went through an experience where my father almost died pretty recently. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time in the first year being as angry as I've ever been. Yeah, And I have never been so consistently and acutely rage filled. Given the distance that I've had and the perspective that I've, that I've started to really glean from that whole experience I needed to do that. I needed that destruction, if that makes sense. Now, I think that I should clarify here, there is healthy anger and unhealthy anger. And I definitely had a mixture of both, but I think that it was a learning experience about that, that it wasn't an absolute thing. It wasn't an, okay, well, when I deal with grief again, I won't be angry next time. It was no, it was no, I am going to definitely be angry, but there are ways to process that anger and let that anger out in a way that doesn't hurt others and that doesn't hurt myself. And uh, yeah.
0: That's such a huge takeaway too from the grief process. And I know when your dad was sick, we were all grieving and wondering what would happen. And I have to say as... Much as you felt like everything I'm going through is I've never been this angry in my life and this is unhealthy and not good. It was powerful to watch and to observe from the other side, simply because I know the value of what you're walking through, even when it feels like utter destruction and you want to burn it all down around you. Capable of functioning day to day, even though it doesn't feel good, it's not necessarily Causing anything healthy to come out of us, it is still a tool. It's just information that shows up to say, hey, these aren't your anger, is not a, you know, your feelings are not facts. They are just information to give you clarity about where to go next. And so I love that you uh, have kind of a 2020 vision back, you know, hindsight to say, the next time I am faced with trauma or grief or potential, you know, that anticipatory grief of a sick relative you have a sense of compassion for how, okay, I might get that angry again. I might feel that unending rage that makes me want to destroy all of it. And that, that awareness is, is crucial, but it's awful to feel like you have to experience some kind of trauma or some kind of grief before you come to that kind of a conclusion. Um, so I want to ask, do you feel like your dad getting sick was the crux? of starting a process of wrestling with grief, or is there something else that in your life you realize, perhaps I should ask some questions about it?
1: My dad getting sick, uh, and to, um, to give a little bit more context here, um, he was diagnosed uh, with very severe cancer and was given basically a death sentence. Um, had six months to live, that turned into That six months turned into a year, stretched into two years, three years, four years. Suddenly, gosh, I'm a lot better. Recently, he told me his appointments with his oncologist are going to go down from once a month to once every three or four months That's awesome. because of the progress he's made stuff like that so just to give a little bit of context about what what sick means here that was the first time that I have had to grief on that level I've had people in my life die this what it wasn't the death it was the suffering that was what made me so angry and when I say angry I mean from a faith standpoint angry at God, basically. I think before that I had a very shallow understanding of faith in general. I grew up in the church. I have always uh, considered myself a uh, follower of Christ. That was the first time that I almost walked away and it was quick too. Because I saw the suffering, and and I I know we we all have those stories about hearing the line if there is a God, then why does he allow so much suffering into the world? And you know what? That's a legitimate question. And I think that before it was one that I never really considered. Common, I suppose. You can throw the story of the book of Job out, one of many other platitudes about suffering and how and how it brings growth and faith and stuff like that. But to really consider it from an emotional and personal standpoint and to finally look at myself in the mirror and think to myself oh wow that question actually makes a lot of sense and then to feel guilt because of the selfishness of it all it's like oh well it took took me dealing with it give it some space as as you say so it was this whole roller coaster and ultimately to answer your question yeah that was the first time that i have had to really consider grief on this level and to really understand what um what mourning looks like, because everything was preparatory for me. I was getting ready for him to die. There were a couple of times where I thought to myself, I, I hope he does soon because I'm, I'm, I don't want to see him suffer anymore. And that's hard to admit. It was hard for me to say it just now because it may, because I, I felt like guilty just even thinking it, let alone saying it. But again, given time and space, it has allowed me to understand that anger is a a necessary component for me, but there's a healthy way to do it. And then the pandemic came along. And then this wildfire that left thousands of people in our community homeless came along. And just the, the overwhelming sense of this wave after wave of things that continue to happen. I think my dad was the first one. And then it felt like those other two things and everything that has happened with the pandemic were kind of these sneaker waves, if that makes sense. Things yeah. I didn't expect, but were right on the heels of the big one. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot. It, it was definitely a when it rains it pours type scenario these last few years. But it's been good in that. I'm not talking about silver lining because let's be clear, there is no silver lining to <laughs> watching somebody die. Like that, there is no silver lining to watch half of your community burn down. There is no silver lining to a pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people have died. There are takeaways, though. And I think one of the takeaways for me is that I need to be angry when hard things come along. I need to understand that anger better and I need to handle it better. And I need to acknowledge that it's there to master it.
0: I love your distinction between silver linings and takeaways because it's very powerful and very crucial to remember it's really easy to say well at least well at least and i appreciate that you recognize that and articulate that too because that is one that comes up a lot for people especially when they haven't wrestled with grief in a very direct way in their own story one thing that you said that i wanted to ask a question about was you mentioned that you were feeling selfish, that you had to experience this before you could ask those big questions about, well, why is there suffering in the world? And that's where so much of my rage has come from. And I just want to say, I don't think that's a selfish perspective. It's just that you've never had an experience in your life where you end up at that intersection of grief and faith and having to wrestle with the two, especially when you have been raised in a community of faith is not necessarily something that's taught or experienced. So I wanna ask, how has your understanding of grief and faith been impacted by the ability you now carry to ask those really common but completely unanswerable questions?
1: That's a key word. I've always considered myself an an empathetic person. I was in a profession for almost 15 years where listening was 97% of the job. But the idea between understanding empathy and knowing empathy, I think is very different. I watched my community burn down, watched friends lose their homes before this pandemic came along. I think I understood empathy. I don't think I knew it though. I think I know it a little bit now because I think that I, I had sort of an academic approach before in that, okay, I know that listening is important here. I just need to listen don't speak just be there again hold space as you say I wasn't intimately acquainted with it and the reason I say that is because th- there were people who were there for me on that level who seemed to have and I'm talking about sorry when my dad got sick now there were people there who were there for me on that level my mom my wife you a couple uh you know a couple of other friends who would check in with me I saw what empathy looked like lived out. And I saw almost its physical structure. It was almost like it manifest as, as opposed to an abstract idea or a thought. When you see something lived out that acutely, it's, it's like you almost start to assign like physical characteristics to it. And it was, it was, an, it was a wake up call in that while I may understand empathy, I don't know it. I think I know it a little bit better now and I want to get to know it better. And I want to continue to uh, plumb the depths of it and understand that, yes, well, listening is part of it. That's just scratching the surface. And I think I'll just stop there.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's a great place to stop, but I love what you just had to say. Um, You kind of answered my next question, but I want to ask it anyway, because I think it's going to be more practical. Understanding and knowing empathy and knowing how to function in it is a big deal. So, how has your life changed now that you have this knowing, this internalized sense of empathy? How has it changed how you approach others who are grieving, or just in general in life? And,
1: and this is part of the this is part of the work, right? Um, if anything, it's made me a little bit more cautious. It's it, it, a little bit more tentative, because as opposed to before, where I felt confident, like I'll be there for this person. Now it's like okay hey just um, it's 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 gentler i think
0: yes that's a good word for it
1: it's it's i think it's gentler it's more soft spoken i want to continue to get better at actually living it out so my words and actions are consistent it's made me a lot more self-aware about my emotional state at all times i think that the kind of the hot word right now uh is uh mindfulness okay, I just took one step. Okay, I just took another step. Oh, I smell cigarette smoke. Oh, there's a there's a beautiful butterfly. You know, I'm not quite there yet. But just in terms of being very self aware of where I am moment to moment emotionally, and also other people around me, just if something seems off, checking in, hey, how's it going? Can I get you a coffee? Okay, just 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 little things like that. I'm recognizing that it is going to be something that I'm learning the rest of my life. It's not there's never going to be an end point. And, and I'm, I'm okay with that. That that's, that's a weight off my shoulders because it's not like a deadline or a place that you have to get to. It's a, this is always going to be changing, man. And you have to be okay with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, mindfulness is just paying attention. So the fact that you, as someone who always, I feel has been very cognizant of what people are going on around you. I do feel after knowing you for, oh my gosh, like 18 years now. Um, you do pay attention. I can say I've seen so much more mindfulness and awareness of others at being empathetic toward what they might need in the moment. I've seen that grow in you and that's beautiful. Um, Thank you. And I love, I think it's really great that you think you'll arrive someday at a level of empathy that is satisfying. <laughs> but but <it's laughs> I a, hope so. I hope so. It's a goal. It's a goal yeah. to work toward. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. that target. Before we wrap up, I want to ask one more question. This is probably going to be a hard question, but that's okay. There's no perfect answer. What is one thing that you want the world around you to understand about what it means to grieve mindfully?
1: I'm going to go back to American culture again on this one. We live in a very structured and sequential society uh, for the most part, I would say. I think that lately more cracks than usual have been showing but what i mean by that is a lot of us do regular work whether that's you know nine to five or uh sporadically we there's a very structured approach that i think that we all like to take there's a routine i don't think grief fits into that at all and that is the challenge just that knowing that the difficulty in grieving the right way in gr- the, the, the right way for you. Sorry. The, the, the correct way for you is. It's not going to fit into this structured sequential thing that we've got going on. And that's going to be, that, that's such a challenge because yes, we get bereavement from the work and, and, and yes, people are going to bring us casseroles and, Yes, people are going to offer condolences and cards and hugs and stuff like that. But over time, that's going to go away and people are going to just go back to it. And suddenly you are left kind of alone. Maybe feeling that way because, quote unquote, enough time has gone by, right? They're probably manageably okay now. And that's not going to be that way for everybody. It's not going to be that way for the vast majority of people. I, there are still, my, my, my dad is better and there are still things that I'm wrestling with
0: Yeah. from
1: when he got, from when he got sick, we're a, a, a constantly thinking about what does this say about me as a person of faith That uh, mm-hmm. and uh, preparing for the next one and all of those things. Um, so just know that I, this is going to sound discouraging and I don't mean it to be, but if you can understand that your grieving process is not going to line up with routine, I think that's a huge leg up.
0: Yeah, that is that I couldn't have asked for a better response. That's such a great and important thing for people to wrap their brains around. It's so good. Thank you. We could talk for 27 hours straight about this <laughs> Um, I know you are not in the grief sphere. You're just an unlucky sap that got sucked into my world. And I make you talk about this now. But I think you are such a fun person just to talk with in general. So how can any of our listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to connect?
1: Um, I have a Twitter. Um, I'm kind of a one social media account at a time kind of guy. I nuked my Facebook. I don't have an Instagram. Uh, <laughs> t- t- Twitter is kind of where I'm at. Uh, you can find me at, at Ryan. And then my last name is the weirdest last name you ever heard. P like Paul, F like Frank, E-I-L. So at Ryan File. And that's my Twitter handle. Uh, I talk a lot about board games and books and entertainment and mass and stupid stuff and important stuff and it's just a big mix. So if you're into all that, come come on by. We'll
0: hang out. I'll spell your name correctly in the show notes, so don't worry <laughs> about that. I've been spelling it out loud for myself for, like I said, 18 years to make sure I spell it correctly every time. So
1: it takes it takes about 18 years. So. I'm an well, expert by now. That's good. No big deal.
0: <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> Ryan, you're a delight, and this was awesome, and I'm so grateful that you came by. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening today. I hope you are feeling at least 1% more hopeful and settled in your story than when you first hit play. And if that's the case, would you consider leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts? Your feedback means so much to me and helps me get the word out about this work and our grief community. And I want to say thank you to every one of you who has shared, promoted, or spoken with a friend about restorative grief. With each conversation, we are bringing more grief literacy and healing into the world. Until next time.